Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. Starting at uh, Mark 7 and 24. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. He was incognito. But he could not be hidden, for a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What? You calling me a dog? And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go on your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on a bed. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been in, you guys can be seated. We've been in Mark for a little uh, time, the action hero version of the Gospels, with plenty of subplots and so much that Jesus seems to be getting accomplished by the very moment. Remember we talked about the word immediately happens over and over. <laughs> Everything is Im- immediately or forthwith. There's this, uh, a rhythm, there's a momentum that is happening in the scriptures and Mark, um, where God, well, Jesus, there are two things you can be sure of that Jesus understands thoroughly. The historical context that he's placed in, and he understands thoroughly his mission. Those are two things I feel like we really reach for in our time and still have a lot of questions about it. Like, what am I supposed to be doing here on earth, God? Like, what's my purpose? How can I fully understand this world around me? And we live with people who obviously don't look like us and people who don't believe like us and know that Jesus moved through the same kind of um, world. He moved through a world where Jews and Gentiles hated each other. Hated. I mean, it, it wasn't anything that was a strong dislike. You know how we, like, we hate to use the word hate? I just dislike them. It was a strong hate where people would go miles out of their way to avoid certain territories. But yet and still we have Jesus crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee between two sides that are in, you know, in our context I guess you would think of Northern Ireland and Ireland. Or you would think of Israel and Palestine. That kind of animosity towards each other that has just gone on for generations and generations, and you may have even forgotten why it is that way. And you think about black and white in our country, or immigrant and citizen, or you think about um, poor and privileged, and all the enmity and the fear that exists between them. Jesus was moving through these same waters, yet and still he was very aware of his mission on earth. And as such, we have the call, we have the um, honor of being on mission where we are and thoroughly understanding our context. 
So he goes to Tyre and Sidon, which is, you know, um, considered to be Canaan, just north of where Israel is. And um, he's going because he's hiding. He's not doing a conference. <laughs> you know, he's not going with, like, selling tickets and doing that kind of thing. He's going, in, he's incognito. He's like, <laughs> he's, under, he's under the radar, you know? It's like, he doesn't want anybody to know he's there. <laughs> and this woman, Matthew gives, gives a more, you know, detailed elucidation of this, of this text. And he says that she is begging and pleading. Only, Mark only says that she asked repeatedly. And in Matthew, it says that Jesus said nothing when she asked repeatedly. Jesus said nothing. Woman, it's not my time, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's thinking. But Jesus said nothing to her, and she's repeating over and over again, my daughter, she's demonized. I need your help. Where he, and it, you get the feeling in Matthew that he begins to leave, and she comes after him and pleads. You think of the persistent widow, you think of people who are, Jesus saying, those that knock at the door, like, just keep asking, keep asking. But he goes, she goes after him and gives this amazing response. Why should I take the children's bread? Shouldn't they be filled? And why should I take it and give it to the dogs? Shorthand is he called her a dog. He was speaking to the context of the dealings that Jews had with Gentiles. I know Brian went in last week about the purity codes and how they washed so much just if they even thought they were going to be around people who were unclean. You washed your hands before you ate bread in particular. Like you were so aware of dirt and filth and Jesus calls them out and says, you're so far away from the actual heart of this. You're, actually, you're so far away from even understanding what holiness truly is that you have become so involved in the ritual that you have forgotten the reason. And the reason for the season is always Jesus. Answer is always Jesus. But we can do that in our own lives, get so used to a ritual. We're coming to church, we're like, this is what we do, this is what we do at this time of the day, and that we can forget that the reason is the lily of the valley, the very one who broke his body on the cross for each and every one of us, crucified. But this seems to be almost like a, um, a midpoint. It actually is a midpoint in Mark, where Jesus makes these literary allusions and even with miracles, he starts to allude to what is coming. And people are so comfortable and so used to things being the way that they are that they don't understand that it's all changing. Someone who was so thoroughly assured of his mission to the Jewish people, yet and still he would be moved by people's faith. Even the dogs get the crumbs. It makes me think of Shemetz. Hopefully I said that right. Shemetz, which is a part of Passover where you rid your whole house of crumbs. 
Like, I mean, you go in corners, you lift up rugs. It's, it's crazy. She's like, oh, maybe those Gentiles are like those crumbs that people are trying to get rid of. Even dogs get those. We should have access to something. She is very aware and holding on to Jesus of all the miracles he's just wrought, how he's multiplied bread, and there's even some left over. But the divisions are very, very obvious. Has anybody ever heard a church say they want to be an Acts 2 church? It's like a very, it's like, I want to be an Acts 2 church. And I mean, it's amazing. Like, they shared everything they had. The Holy Spirit was poured out. But they were all Jews. The Gentiles didn't get to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit until 10 years after that. Like, how how divided was that world? How divided was even the outpouring of God's spirit. And Peter's saying, this is, this is the thing. It's here, right here. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Well, he's pouring out his spirit on Jewish flesh right now. But in the future, we'll get to all people. But apparently, this world is just, you know, we can only honor one group at a time for some reason, you know? <laughs> It's like hard. We got to, you know, you got the competition. You can only have, there can only be one boss. You know what I'm saying? Like, God is the boss of the Trinity. So each country has to have one person that's like, you know, running things. But I don't think Jesus saw it that way. And even his desire to remain hidden was amazing. These crumbs, these crumbs off the table, and the light of the cross become boulders. These little pieces of nothingness, when we see the path that Jesus walked to the cross, become enough to feed all mankind. So when she's saying even the dogs get the crumbs off the table, she's saying, I know, Jesus, when you multiply that bread, it was something left over. That means it was something not just for Jews, it was some left for the rest of us. Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> it was something left over. When the children of Israel were going through the desert and God was providing manna, he made sure it was the exact amount each one of them needed. All these miracles Jesus is doing this in the wilderness because there's nowhere to get food. Every one of them, God is providing manna daily. They're having exactly what they need. And here is the overflow that welcomes us all in. Come on in. Cornbread and iced tea. Let's get it popping. Everybody has some. But those... Her faith to understand what was happening, and his disciples didn't even understand what was happening. And here is Jesus crisscrossing the lake. Turn to Mark 8. 
and 13. Person on slides, I'm skipping around a little bit. Mark 8 and 13 through 21. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, of course, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we ain't got no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. (laughs) Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? It's like, Jesus, this is supposed to make it clear for us? We still don't know what you're talking about. I think uh, most of us are, we just kind of read the scripture sometimes and things we don't understand. We're like, I'm going to just skip past it and it'll be revealed to me in a dream at some time. (laughs) I know he'll help help me understand it. And, you know, between chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is just on the move, man. He's in Tyre and Sidon, which is like, you know, northwest of the Sea of Galilee, which where all the, the Gentiles are there. Then he crosses back over to the east side of the lake, and he's healing people. And then, you know, Mark 8 and 1, he multiplies food. And it's around the same time that the disciples... Um, get in the boat to go across the lake again, and they said, we only have one loaf. Like, we don't have the seven. We don't have the five anymore. So much symbology in those numbers. We only have one. And he's like, where did, where did I go wrong with you guys? Because apparently the Syrophoenician woman got something that you guys don't get. And what she got is that there was a new social order being instituted with Jesus. There was a new way that Jews and Gentiles were called to deal with each other. They were being reconciled. They were being brought into a new kingdom with a new king. And that king said, there is enough for Gentiles as well. There is an abundance for them. I think Jesus was so inspired by this woman's response and her faith that he went immediately back to the Gentile side of the lake to wreak havoc. (laughs) That a lot of those miracles that happened at that time happened in the shadow of her faith. Even the crumbs Even you get a little biscuit, man. How aware are you of the division that exists in your world? 
And how determined are you to understand that Jesus has enough for all of us? So much of our comfort comes from fear. Maybe not an in-your-face daily fear like a, you know, a dog is chasing you. But maybe it's a fear of your children not getting into the right school. Maybe it's a fear of not finding the apartment in an exclusive neighborhood. Maybe it is not being able to be in a place that, that feels safe. Maybe it feels like there are certain parts of the city that seems like they are being cultivated for animals. There are certain places that seems like neglect would be a nice word. And as a black man traveling in the city of Chicago, living in the cloistered, somewhat, somewhat privileged north side, it is painful to move between these neighborhoods. Painful because of injustices that are plainer in our face. It's like, well, people just need to do better. People just need to work. People just need to not shoot each other. People just need to, and apparently Jesus never took that posture. What he did is go to them and give them what he had. What his disciples are saying, send them away from here. Get them out of here. Like, they're hungry. We don't have any food for them. And Jesus says, even in the midst of people not providing <laughs> a meal for them in a the wilderness, I will show you how it shall multiply. So I believe in prophecy. I believe in metaphor, as you will probably understand already. David once heard a story from Nathan, the prophet, who told him all about the injustice in a way that he hadn't heard it before. And David ended up repenting of, you know, what had happened. So I have a little metaphorical story of the way that I think of injustice in this country. And um, so there was a man who lived in a house, and he was urged or compelled to move to another city because of situations, and he moved next door to a neighbor. Now, because of the laws in this area, he had to help his neighbor with his house for free. And he helped his neighbor, like, basically completely renovate the house. It's like he just completely, like, you know, replaced all the, you know, countertops. It's a complete gut rehab. And he helped him for years and years to do this. And um, in the course of this man helping his neighbor, he lost his home, he lost his family, he lost all of his resources that he had in the process of helping um, this person. And after the house was all done, um, the guy was out with nothing. He was just out on the street with no family or anything else. And the law was found to be unconstitutional. It was, a, it was a bad law that forced him to help it. But now the guy who 
had all the work done on his house, was able to sell it for astronomically more than it was put into it. And he sold the house, and the other guy's like, hey, you going to share some of these profits? It's no law that he has to share any of the profits. It's no, nothing that would force him to. And now, um, there can be, how can there be any recourse when the neighbor has lost everything that he had? And I think in a lot of ways, that's where we stand with this country is a lot of time building a place and feeling, feeling like you are but a crumb. But through the cross, those crumbs look like boulders. Through the lens of the abundance of a king who has accepted me before anybody ever did, that I understand what love truly is. And we are even called to be reconcilers in a context that we live in. Jesus assaulted the social political boundaries through the supernaturally creative power of the Holy Spirit. And he spent so much time crisscrossing the Sea of Galilee almost like a needle and thread to bind up the wounds of a hurting and diseased place. So the question I ask you today is, what are ways that you can bind up the wounds of your community? What are ways that you can bind up the wounds of this city? What are ways that we can see the body broken for us is more than enough for all of us? More than just crumbs. It's a beautiful picture of who he is. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for us. That all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and who was raised again. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in his way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he, Christ, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The, that broken body that was multiplied 
was for each one of us. In Mark 8 and 1, this is Jesus on the Gentile side of the lake. I don't think I have it up there, but. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered to him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples and set them before him. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed him, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who were eating were about 4,000, and then he sent them away. In Mark 8 and 13, where they say, we only have one, we couldn't have more than one loaf. And Jesus says, why do you reason because you have no bread? Don't you see that I'm the one loaf? Don't you see that one body broken means so much more than many bodies broken? That this is the multiplication of who Jesus is that has been happening for centuries and centuries. And we are all a part of that body. He also warns his disciples to beware of the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees because they break without the miracle of multiplication. It's the best that man can do without the power of the Holy Spirit is to divide, is to pit us against each other, is to have us concentrate more on our divisions than we concentrate on our unity. But we have been united in Christ in one body. And as such, we are brothers and sisters who are being multiplied daily. And I know some of you who are feeling we're all in so many different places, but we are broken vessels. We are broken vessels before God. But I promise you, in the hands of the presence of God, that brokenness equals multiplication. It equals growth. It equals transformation. It equals our ability to walk alongside and champion others in Jesus' name. And so the bread of life, who is Jesus, ultimately broke history because he couldn't be spent. Even crumbs that continue will make more and more for each one of us. So I just want to pray for you right now. Um, And my prayer is that in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of injustice, that we'll understand that God's love goes on and on for us. 
that no matter how high the obstacles that exist in our society that divide us along racial lines, that divide us along class lines, that Jesus is the great uniter. Father, I just thank you um, today for who you've made us to be, God, that you've opened up our hearts in a new way, that you've transformed us into people who look like you, who sound like you. I pray, Father, that just as it says in Colossians 1 and 6, the gospel will continue to bear fruit and grow throughout the whole world. That we would see our hearts, our resources, and our lives through the lens of the gospel. And understand with joy that there are no outsiders anymore. That we are not refused sustenance. That we are not refused abundance. That we are not refused your presence because of where we were born or because of what we were born with, God. but I'm so thankful that your love has been made available to each and every one of us. And that when we partake of the bread of life, we can never be too broken. <laughs> that when we partake of your body, there is no state beyond the reach of your resurrection and transformation. And I thank you, Father, that as we worship today and as we take communion today, that we would do this to remember you. And not only that we would remember you, but that you would remember us, God, that you would remember your children who at times are so afraid and at times are so destitute and we feel like we don't have all the things that we need, God. But I thank you for your reminder of who you are and the multiplication that is the very nature of your kingdom. So I pray, Father, for the brokenness that transforms the world and continues to transform our hearts. In Jesus' name.